Yesterday, President Biden met with congressional leadership to talk about this issue that everyone in Washington is freaking out about, the X date. I love when, like, the economic nerds give us a, like, fun term to work with. That's Jeff Stein. He's an economics reporter for The Post, and he's been reporting on the X date. That's the deadline for the U.S. government to raise the debt limit. If that doesn't happen, then the U.S. will default on its debt. And that is a huge deal. At the risk of sounding alarmist, if the U.S. were to default on its debt, we would be looking at, potentially, millions of federal workers furloughed, Social Security and Medicare recipients not getting critical life-saving payments, a stock market collapse, an economic recession, a really scary set of doomsday scenarios. The X date is June 1st, and as we barrel towards that deadline, economists are trying to figure out exactly what would happen if we miss it, because the U.S. hasn't ever failed to pay its bills. Well, except for that one time. It's like the War of 1812, they like didn't pay it for a week, so now you gotta be like, it's so annoying. <laughs> so then like people will email you being like, it's not unprecedented, like James Madison. Okay, since James Madison, it hasn't happened, but for real. We would really be in uncharted territory. Never before in the modern history of the country has the U.S. government failed to make a payment. And that failure could really imperil the global economy and the U.S. economy. And we just don't know because this has never happened before. From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Anahad O'Connor. I'm your guest host. It's Wednesday, May 17th. With the X date just two weeks away, we talk doomsday scenarios as our elected leaders gamble on the economic future of the country and the world. This debt ceiling law is extremely weird and unusual. Only one other country, Denmark, has it. And it's so unusual because what it essentially amounts to is a law that sets the maximum amount that the Treasury Department can borrow to make the U.S. government's payments. But simultaneously, Congress has passed another set of laws, the spending and tax laws, that require the U.S. government to spend more than it is authorized to borrow. And so we're looking at this strange and inexplicable collision where the U.S. government has simultaneously been told, spend and tax this amount, but also been told, even though you have to do that, you cannot borrow to make that spending and tax collection possible. And so that's why we're heading towards this crisis, because if the U.S. government is not allowed to borrow more, if Congress does not reach a deal to change the debt ceiling so the government can borrow more money, then we will be in a situation where spending outstrips the amount that they can borrow, and then we'll have a default, meaning that the U.S. government will miss a critical payment on something that they've already authorized. And where do things stand in the negotiations between President Biden and Congress over trying to reach this deal over the borrowing limit? Well, it's interesting because for months, the Biden administration was very adamant that negotiating with Republicans over the debt ceiling was an irresponsible thing that would sort of reward the GOP for economic hostage taking. And we heard this over and over from the president. Happy to meet with McCarthy, but not on whether or not the debt limit gets extended. That's not negotiable. I noticed they quote Reagan and they But really in the last couple of weeks, the president and the White House have changed quite dramatically and are now in, engaging in negotiations, which they maintain is not about the debt ceiling, but, you know, even some White House officials privately acknowledge to me is about, you know, making sure that we don't default on our payment obligations. And uh, to be clear, 
This negotiation is about the outlines of what the budget will look like, not about whether or not we're going to, in fact, pay our debts. The leaders have all agreed we will not default. Every leader has said that. Kevin McCarthy, the House Speaker, and the President um, and other congressional leaders met yesterday. There is optimism um, on the Hill that that they are moving towards an agreement um, that would resolve this debt ceiling impasse and change some aspects of federal law um, and federal budget law. Um, but you know they have really a short amount of time to get this done. And why has this deal been so difficult to reach? Are there certain points of contention here that are slowing things down and causing this impasse in particular? From the Biden administration's perspective, this should be incredibly easy. Congress has already told Treasury to spend this money. From the White House's perspective, Congress should just go ahead and raise the borrowing limit as they have hundreds of times, really without much issue in recent American history. However, Republicans, in what many people think is sort of an irresponsible weaponization of this um, debt limit, Republicans are insisting on broad changes to the U.S. government, um, including massive spending cuts, in order to agree to raise the debt limit. When Kevin McCarthy took the speakership, the far right and House conservatives um, in the Republican caucus said to McCarthy, you must use this debt limit to leverage massive cuts from the White House or we will depose you as speaker. Mm, So House Republicans want some major spending cuts and the Biden administration, I guess, is pushing back. Yeah. And and, and so I just think it's worth really stopping for a second and emphasizing for people that what the House Republicans are doing here is pretty unusual. They are saying that they are going to be willing to cause a stock market crisis and potentially a U.S. recession unless they get the concessions they want. That is pretty outside the norm of what we've seen historically in these debates. There is some precedent for concessions and deals around the debt limit, but but this is pretty different from what we normally see. That said, the Republicans have kind of telegraphed recently that they're willing to jettison some of the more dramatic demands that they initially brought to the table. They seem to have relented on demanding changes on student debt relief, but they are still seeking pretty substantial cuts to domestic programs. And most recently, they've made um, as a red line in negotiations, a demand that that they secure new work requirements on federal programs. Basically, you know, restrictions on federal aid that require people who receive it to go to work. A lot of Democrats think that this sort of just prevents poor people from getting essential and critical help from the federal government and that this is a very punitive, draconian measure. But Republicans see it as encouraging people to go to work and have made it sort of an important part of these discussions. Okay, so critical to these discussions is something that's ominously called the X date. Uh, Jeff, can you explain what the X date is and when it's supposed to take place? The X date is the date at which the U.S. government will no longer be able to make all of its payment obligations because they've run out of money. And we're expecting right now, based on what Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen has told Congress, that that could happen as soon as June 1st. That doesn't mean it will happen on June 1st. It just means that that is the first date. They can no longer confidently say that the U.S. will have enough money to meet all of its payment obligations. This is a scary moment because the U.S. has never defaulted on its debt, with one exception or a couple exceptions in the 19th century. The U.S. has always been able to pay the obligations that come due but really only a few weeks to raise the borrowing limit or the U.S. will have to tell someone, you know, that the U.S. government has already said, we will pay you this, and then the bill comes due and then they just say, sorry, we don't have enough money for it. 
Jeff, is there any way around this? Like, is there any way that the government could avoid missing the X date without Congress and the Biden administration cutting a deal? What we have reported is that the Biden administration has considered some unilateral actions to deal with the debt limit without Congress. And the most popular of these include minting a trillion-dollar coin that the Treasury Department would deposit um, in its account at the Federal Reserve to essentially get around the debt limit and still be able to, um, you know, spend money on government operations. The second idea, this is actually the much more popular within the Biden administration, is invoking the 14th Amendment, which would essentially be um, citing the, the Constitution's clause that says the U.S. government should not default on its obligations. And then Biden could, at least under this theory, argue that, hey, this debt ceiling thing doesn't make any sense. I'm just going to keep making the payments and borrowing money regardless of the debt ceiling. Now, what we've also reported is that the Biden administration and senior Biden officials really do not want to do this. The way the 14th Amendment would work, the government would say, we're just going to issue more debt regardless of the debt ceiling. And in the event that they did that, even if the Biden administration thought they were legally on sound ground to do so, the second they did that, Republicans would have been cut out of this decision, would likely sue that debt issuance in court and say, this is illegal. And with the conservative Supreme Court, it's very possible that Biden could lose that auction, that he could say, this attempt to issue treasury debt and continue to print money regardless of the debt ceiling is illegal. And if that happens, you could still see the kind of financial crisis that they're worried about from merely breaching the debt limit. And in that event, investors could say, this treasury debt is of legally dubious validity, and therefore we will still demand a premium. Interest rates will rise. The same global economic shocks that we discussed could occur. And as a result, some people in the Biden administration aren't really sure that this solves their problem. However, if we get to the point where there's really no other options and we're at or right beyond the X date, it seems quite possible to the people I've talked to that this is something that this is sort of the real breaking case of emergency um, option for the Biden administration, and, and maybe they will look to use it. So if the X date passes and the government is, let's say, unable to borrow anymore, so does that mean that the government is completely out of cash and spending is just impossible? On the mechanics of this, there's a lot of debate among experts about what exactly would happen on the other side of the X date. What we know for sure is that the U.S. government would not have the ability to make all of its payments. That doesn't mean that it couldn't make any of its payments. And actually, some congressional Republicans have said, you know, maybe the debt ceiling isn't that big of a deal because the U.S. government will still be collecting plenty of tax revenue. Conservative Republicans are saying, just take the money that's still coming in from tax revenue and redirect it. And not everyone will get paid, but maybe that's okay. Now, other experts say that this is extremely reckless from conservative Republicans. If you have a situation where not all payments get made, you are looking at some critical group missing their payments, which could be Social Security recipients, it could be Medicaid recipients, and more broadly, what the impact of this could be psychologically on investors, on the economy, on seniors who are expecting their payments. We have already seen evidence that it could cause a financial crisis, not just in the U.S., but globally. I mean, this is a really quite scary development. The U.S. economy is really the pillar of the global economy, and the pillar of the U.S. economy is the U.S. government, which is the biggest single payer in the world. So much of economics is psychological, and, and if you have a loss of confidence in the system, things can get really bad really quickly. 
Yeah, so what you're outlining here sounds like really a, a doomsday scenario. Let's dig into that a little bit. Um, so if the financial sector takes a hit, how long would it take for the general population to start feeling that crunch? How would the average person start to experience some of the effects of this doomsday scenario that you outlined? Yeah, so not only is the X date itself hard to predict, it's really hard to know exactly when we're going to run out of money because payments and revenue are so volatile for the federal government. But even harder to predict is what the world looks like on the other side of the X date. In 2011, when we got close to the X date, we saw about a 20% drop in stock prices, which is a huge amount. And not every American owns stocks, but you know, over 50% of the country does, and that's a hit to retirement accounts. And when the stock market takes a hit, then it begins to ripple through the broader economy. And the longer this lasts, we're talking weeks or months, then we really start to see quite a scary impact. Some estimates have said that we could lose 8 million jobs within two or three months. Um, the White House uh, Council of Economic Advisors put out a report finding that stocks could fall by 45%. Um, we're talking about uh, 2 to $3 trillion, according to Moody's, in wiped out um, household wealth. So these are pretty pretty big effects. This is like a, a financial crisis or a recession um, completely self-inflicted by the U.S. government, um, which is makes it all the more shocking, really. Yeah, I mean, it sounds pretty horrifying. So we'd be almost overnight plunged into a potentially uh, bear market, into a recession. And the government, the federal government employs uh, a vast number of people. What about federal employees and industries that rely on government contracts? Would we see furloughs and payment freezes like we saw during previous uh, government shutdowns? You know, this is a question I've been trying to get to the bottom of. This is different, crucially, from a government shutdown. We know that when there's a shutdown, there are plans of operation. There are essential employees who are set to be called back. The sources I've talked to are telling me that there that doesn't really exist for this. The backup plans for operations to make sure that the um, food inspectors are doing their jobs, right? So people don't eat bad food and, and the air traffic controllers who make sure that the planes don't have safety issues, that there aren't plans in place to make sure these people stay because even planning that would sort of be to um, acknowledge the possibility of the impossible, that, that this would be such a nightmare, such a cataclysm that even preparing for how to prioritize payments to make sure that that the most essential federal services continue to get fulfilled, that that is so difficult and so hard because they don't even know how much money is coming in on a regular basis that we could, we could be in a situation where all that has to be done essentially on the fly. Now, I'm thinking about annual government spending, and a big chunk of that is on programs like Social Security and Medicare, which millions of Americans rely on for monthly payments and for their health care. Um, if this X date comes and passes and we still haven't reached a deal, does that mean that these really important programs will essentially come to a screeching halt? Yes, under everything we understand. If the borrowing limit isn't reached at some point, um, it will be impossible for the federal government to make all of its Social Security and Medicare payments. People need the, these programs to survive, and we're talking about them being uh, curtailed. Social Security recipients currently receive a monthly benefit, which they need to pay rent and buy groceries. Um, you would see, according to the projections, huge numbers of increases in poverty because of, of seniors unable to get those monthly checks. Medicare um, works differently in that 
the payments go not directly to seniors, but as reimbursements to providers, hospitals, and doctors. And so if we pass the X date and the standoff continues, what would happen is hospitals and doctors would presumably at some point stop taking seniors and stop evaluating them and treating them because they would have no assurance that the federal government would reimburse them through Medicare, which they do every day, thousands if not millions of times. And so that um, program would come to a halt and people would not be able to get life-saving care. After the break, the domino effect that could occur around the world if the U.S. defaults on its debt. We'll be right back. This podcast is sponsored by Monarch Money. Are you saving to reach your financial goals? Reaching those goals isn't just about getting more money, but by managing what you have. And the best way to manage your money? Monarch Money. Monarch Money is a new kind of finance app that's intuitive, powerful, ad-free, and takes the headaches out of budgeting. Try it free when you go to monarchmoney.com slash podcast. Monarch puts all your accounts, investments, transactions, and finances at your fingertips. With a complete view of your finances, you'll gain insights on your spending and find new ways to save. Plus, Monarch lets you customize your dashboard, collaborate with your partner, set custom budgets and goals, and track your progress toward them. See why Mint users are turning to Monarch Money and loving it, and why the Wall Street Journal named Monarch Money the best budgeting app overall. Get a 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash podcast. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H money.com slash podcast for your free trial. monarchmoney.com slash podcast. Okay, so we have talked about a lot of the things that could go wrong domestically if this happens. But, you know, you touched upon this earlier. The U.S. economy is very influential globally. Would other countries experience similar shocks like what you've been describing? One of the important things to realize in the debt ceiling debate is that this debate threatens the credibility and the validity of the U.S. dollar and particularly U.S. government bonds, which are essentially debt, right? The government issues debt in exchange for cash up front, and that becomes an asset that people can trade on. And because the U.S. government has always traditionally paid its bills on time, and because the U.S. government is among the most powerful forces in the world, if not in world history, other countries, really dozens of countries throughout the world, rely on U.S. government debt as their safest asset, as sort of their backstop. And so countries everywhere have reserves of U.S. debt, which they believe are, you know, incorruptibly safe. And right now, sort of on a different track, you're seeing prices of, of this debt fall because the U.S. central bank is raising interest rates. And you're seeing countries feel stress because the value of the, the current dollar holdings that they have is declining a little bit. Now, if we were to go through the debt ceiling breach, that effect could be massively magnified. And countries throughout the world who have been depending on the U.S. dollar as their backstop reserve because it's so safe could suddenly wake up and realize that those dollars are not, maybe not worthless, but worth half or a third of what they were. And you could see a series of financial crises in a lot of you know, poor and middle-income you know, countries, if not rich countries as well. And so this is something that I think is less understood by U.S. domestic audiences, but is really important because if other countries have 
um, the value of their safest asset decline, they are looking at not being able to make their own payments. And so we've talked about Medicare and Social Security recipients, but in other countries, they need a strong balance of money to make sure that their citizens get food and healthcare and their own um, subsidies. And so if other governments are unable to make their citizens whole, we could be seeing geopolitical instability in which other countries' leadership could be threatened or toppled or protests. Like that is a very scary and real scenario as a sort of secondary fallout from the debt ceiling debate. So this could be catastrophic, it sounds like, for other countries as well. Do we have a sense if other countries are bracing for a U.S. default? Uh, what would they need to do to protect their economies from this? It's really hard to see what they could do, um, you know, in the time frame that that we're talking about. The idea that these countries can diversify their their reserve holdings in the next two or three weeks before this emergency hits is basically impossible. I do think the longer term effect of this and the more times we do this could be that more and more countries sort of um, doubt the ability of the U.S. to repay its obligations in time. And over the next you know decade or more, what we could see is a shift away from international investors buying U.S. government debt. And that would really be a devastating outcome for, for the U.S. I know it sounds probably abstract to people, but the U.S. government has a pretty unique ability among nations in the entire world, really, in being able to borrow very cheaply because traditionally we are regarded as such a, a safe issuer of debt. And that allows us to make big investments and to run a large debt in a way that other countries, you know, when you talk to economists abroad, they are quite jealous of. Other countries have to be much more careful about the balance of, of spending and revenue and kind of look with envy to the U.S.'s ability to just run up huge debts because people just trust that we are good enough to pay back our obligations. But in a scenario where we continue to do this um, and start to question our own credibility as a safe place for, for investors, the ability of the U.S. To, to spend lots of money would be severely curtailed and could lead to a, you know, a, a dramatic uh, contraction in living standards here. Yeah, so clearly there's a lot at stake globally, it sounds like. And now, unfortunately, we're just a few weeks away from this uh, impending X date, June 1st. Um, how worried do we have to be that a deal won't actually pass on time and that all of these really bad doomsday scenarios that you outlined um, will happen? I think it's tricky as a reporter. You have sort of like the boy who cried wolf fear in the back of your head, and, and I do as I write about this, that, you know, maybe they'll get a deal done in time and maybe there'll be some instability, but that all the really horrific warnings that we've been talking about won't come to pass. And so I'm already bracing for people on Twitter to yell at me about how I was kind of overstating the dangers here. But the risk is real, and we already have evidence that if we get even close to this, we could see a lot of people get hurt. And, you know, one thing that um, Treasury Secretary Yellen said the other day that I thought was interesting was she was sort of talking about sort of the opportunity cost. You know, we have some massive, massive problems in this country, climate change and poverty and hunger. And we have, instead of really addressing any of those problems, spent the last several months debating whether we will, as Yellen did put it, put a gun to our own head and pull the trigger. We have wasted months just going over, like, 
whether or not to cause a very severe self-inflicted wound. And we could look back and say, well, we didn't actually stab ourselves, so <laughs> it wasn't worth worrying about. But the waste in not actually solving the real problems we have, um, I think, is, is itself a tremendous damage. Well, Jeff, we're just a couple weeks away. I guess we'll have to sit tight and see what happens. And hopefully you'll just have to mute your Twitter mentions if, if a deal comes to pass. Jeff, thanks so much for being here. Thanks so much. I hope not to be back on in a few weeks. Jeff Stein is the White House economics reporter for The Post. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was produced by Arjun Singh. It was mixed by Sean Carter and edited by Ariel Plotnik. If you love our show, please subscribe to The Washington Post. It's a great way to support the work that we do. And you'll even get access to the section that I usually write for, the well-being section. There's tons of coverage and tips about nutrition, exercise, and all sorts of ways to live a healthy life. Go to WashingtonPost.com slash subscribe. I'm Anahad O'Connor, and we'll be back tomorrow with more stories from the Washington Post.